0: When the replay official did not stop I, the game i'm not gonna
1: comment on that i'll get fined for the rest of my life if i get commented on that
2: we had a great belief in our locker room we didn't have to do anything special just be us i was so proud of this team we had so much fun it ought to be illegal
3: any idiot can say whatever they want and they usually do and they're negative negative. and all i see to me i've gotten to a point now when i see things like that i feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the
0: passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win. Make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East.
4: Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like it was like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down.
0: And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but a... Uh, um. Uh. uh we, we wish him well.
5: Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this one, but we got a lot of news around the SEC. Still not done with all the spring game action, so didn't want to go another day without giving you guys some SEC content to start your day. And, of course, hey, before we get rolling here, missed it by a day. But uh, as I record it, it is Steve Spurrier's birthday. One of the greatest coaches in SEC history. So, wanted to wish a happy birthday to the head ball coach. It's neat to be Clemson because
1: they, I guess, historically had owned South Carolina. I guess they don't own us right now, that's for sure. Well, yeah, the Tiger doesn't play... Defense or offense for Not yet, anyway. And they, they do keep it caged up there. I've been reading, like you guys have, about our new 3 4 defense. Did anybody like that 3 4 defense? Uh, but I don't know if it mattered if we played a 6 6 defense. Most of our guys have never been to Death Valley. Uh, that is the Death Valley, isn't it?
5: Or is there another one around? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's two of them. That's right. There's two Death Valleys. Yeah, I forgot about
5: that. And speaking of that, we're going to have a little bit more on South Carolina in just a minute. But uh, Shane Beamer, during his most recent press conference, he opened by saying happy birthday to Steve Spurrier because he held it on Tuesday here. But he was asked to share one of his favorite Steve Spurrier stories. Is a good one. So let's kick it over to Shane Beamer, recalling one of his favorite memories of the head ball coach.
0: I've told the one on the golf course a couple times, um, for sure. Uh, when I got kicked out of his group, there's so many. I spent four years here, and I would tell my dad things, or my dad and I would be talking, and he used to always tell me you should write a book uh, just about all the Steve and and things like that. That. That, uh, that, that happened over my four years, which I haven't written a book, but I definitely took about four pages of notes uh, during my time as well. And I apologize, I apologize if I've told this one, but you know, one on the field was, you guys know Coach Spurrier. He definitely, uh, he didn't sugarcoat things and definitely said what was on his mind. So we played up at North Carolina in 2007, I think that was, and um, had a game where the offense really didn't do much in the second half. I was coaching defense that year, but I was also in charge of uh, like the punt block team. So the team, we were on punt return. We were, you know, trying to block punch, return punts, things like that. And with Coach Spurrier, especially when the offense isn't doing very well, it's all about getting the ball back for him. And uh, we had, uh, I can still see it clear as day, it was over on our sideline. We had Jared Cook lined up. We knew we were gonna have an opportunity to block a punt. We actually had two guys come free uh, on our punt block team. And they basically both got back there at the same time. Neither one of them somehow or another was able to block the punt. But we did rough the punter, which gave Carol or North Carolina a first down, which I didn't hear the end of it on the sideline for the rest of the game because that was a series where we were, that was a game where we were struggling offensively to move the football and it all kept coming back to roughing the punter uh, and how everything just went downhill from there. So I'll, uh, the next Monday, I guess we had media availability, I think on those Monday nights. And I still remember standing outside the old weight room. Probably some of you guys were there and I was right at the bottom of the steps and um, you guys were asking me some questions about the North Carolina game. Coach Spurrier walked in the door and, he gave me gave you the old, uh, Beamer, I don't know, what what are you talking to those media boys about? I don't know what those media boys would want to talk to you about. What are you telling them, how to how to rough the punter? And that's all he said as he kept walking up the steps. So I'll have good Spurrier stories for you as, each week. We can maybe have a HBC story time or whatever. But that was one of them. But, yeah, getting kicked out of his group at Sage Valley because I wasn't hitting the ball well after the first two holes. That's an all-timer awesome.
5: All right, so how great is that? <laughs> Steve Spurrier, we all know how he loved to troll his rivals. Hell, he even trolled his own coaches from time to time when things weren't going right. So I just thought that was great that I'd share that. I never realized this until now, but old Steve Spurrier is born on 420. And speaking of 420, the band that supports the show Crimson Calamity, they've got a new song out. It's called My Best Friends. It's a 420 theme song. So if you want to support Crimson Calamity, you can find that music anywhere spotify apple music wherever you get your music go ahead and it won't cost you anything to listen to the song that's all they want you to do so find that online crimson calamity new song my best friend so just wanted to give them a quick shout out but uh, hey before we get rolling here around the league we got our latest mailbag question loving this feature we love getting these mailbag questions so let's kick it over to our call in line our buddy blake Big LSU fan. He's got a question about Alabama.
4: Hey, fellas. How's, how's it going? It's uh, Blake DeArmond, long-time listener and
5: supporter of you.
4: Um, I just wanted to cut to the chase here. Uh, when it comes to the FCC West race, let's be honest with ourselves. It always seems to start with the fact that you got to look at Alabama's schedule and find where their losses could exist in order to dethrone them. That's kind of how it's been the last decade. So I'm just wondering, I look at some of the the teams. They have a couple of tough road trips at Florida, at Texas A&M. You know, you have to be stayed on the schedule. If you could rank maybe your top two, three, or what do you think the best possible scenarios are for Alabama to get a loss or two to see another team win the SEC West this year? Uh, thank you, and great listening to
5: you. Okay, so appreciate Blake reaching out. If you got a question like that, hit us up on the call-in line at 615 615- 856 83 But to Blake's question, yeah, of course, Alabama, not many games on the schedule ever in doubt for the Crimson Tide, and it's just going to be that way as long as they're recruiting like they do. I mean, 90% of the time they take the field, they're vastly superior than anybody they face. It's not even competition. It's basically, can someone keep up with them for the first quarter? You generally know these Alabama games if they're going to get out of hand or not. So I see a couple – This may be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm going with five games next season that conceivably the Crimson Tide could lose. Now, of course, they're not going to lose anywhere close to five games as long as Nick Saban's still there. But let's start with the opener. And I'm rating these from a a score of 1 to 10, 1 being least likely, 10 being most likely that Alabama gets upset. Alabama's opener, Miami, I'm going to put that at a 1 just based on the simple fact of uh, so much transition on the offensive side for Alabama, what happens if Bryce young can't get it done at quarterback going up against a team that I think should have a pretty good defense in Miami. They've got a quarterback of their own Derek King, who's pretty good, but I, he was hurt in the bowl game. So he might be a little gimpy coming into this one. So, you know, there's some pieces there that suggest Alabama could be in for a, Interesting matchup here. I really don't think it's too realistic, though. So that's why I got that as a one. Next up, Ole Miss. Now, of course, Ole Miss nowhere close to Alabama in terms of raw talent, but this game is in Tuscaloosa. So that's certainly going to help Alabama. But Ole Miss has gone into Bryant-Denny before and come away with a win. Lane Kiffin seems to have Nick Saban's defense figured out. He's got Matt Corral back. I think this could be, again, what if Bryce Young is – struggling. I hate to keep saying the same thing over and over, but you know, what do we really have to go off with him? We just have recruiting hype. We got insiders and what they're saying, but there's been many a quarterbacks that have been touted and then get on the field and they don't live up to the hype. So, if Ole Miss finds a way to once again score in bunches like they did against the Crimson Tide last season, they put up 48 on Alabama. That seems like unlikely given that Alabama's defense is getting hyped up, but they Put up 30, 35 points on the Crimson Tide. Can Bryce Young and that offense with a new offensive line, new offensive line coach, new offensive coordinator, can they match it? I'm going to put that one as a four. Still got to think Alabama's a big favorite in that one. And then here's a sneaky one for you. Week three, first true road game of the season at Florida. I think I've been discounting it, the Gators a little bit too much going into the season. I think Dan Mullen's one of the best coaches in college football. The Gators look to be loaded at running back. Now, can they get the offensive line right? That's a huge question, but I think Dan Mullen's going to scheme up a way to get some points on the board here. And I keep saying Florida's defense, I think is going to be a lot stronger than people are giving them credit for. So this could be a low-scoring game, maybe a a 28-24 type game. I could certainly see Florida pulling an upset like that. And again, this will be, Bryce Young's first trip on the road, aside from the openers in Atlanta against Miami. But, you know, you're going to have more Alabama fans there. You're not going to have – I'd be surprised if there's 100 Miami fans there. know They don't even show up to the home games. They're not going to show up for the uh, neutral site games. But you can bet your ass the Swamp's going to be rocking for that one. Gators going to have a lot on the line. And also, you know, obviously these teams met in the uh, SEC championship game last year. This is going to give Florida – motivation all off-season long to get up for this game. So I think that's a little bit of a tricky game there for Alabama. I, I put that at a 5. 5 out of 10, Alabama could get upset. Next up, Texas a and I put that as a 6. Game is in. College Station. Of course, Alabama's had their way with the Aggies in College Station during their time in the SEC. So, uh, but, hell, that's a hostile, hostile environment. This will be coming after the Ole Miss game, which could be, who knows, maybe Lane Kiffin puts stuff, on, something on tape that uh, Jimbo and his offense can exploit the following weekend. So I think the Aggies could potentially give Alabama an upset scare and put that as a six. And then the number one game, and I'm not just doing this for Blake, LSU, 8 out of 10. I'm buying LSU right now. I think they're going to have uh, the offensive fireworks to – scoring bunches next season and the tigers have hell the last time they beat alabama was in tuscaloosa so they're not going to be scared to go into alabama and win that game there's going to be all kinds of players on that roster that have the confidence to do it lsu alabama it's become the biggest game in the sec more often than not annually bigger than the iron bowl i think it's bigger than florida georgia at this point probably going to be the sec west on the line probably going to be a college football playoff berth potentially on the line when LSU goes into Tuscaloosa November 6. LSU 8 out of 10 chance to upset Alabama. That's the one Alabama's got to be most concerned with next season. All right, so that's all we got for the mailbag again. That uh, number if you get anybody want to call in. Hell, you can say anything. It doesn't even have to be a question for us, but that's uh, 615-800-5683. I hope you guys are appreciating this mailbag, as much as I am uh, hearing from you guys, and because hey, we need this stuff in the in the off season. We need the content, so uh, you're helping the show out, and I'm more than happy to answer any and all questions you guys got for the show. But that's enough of me spieling. Let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around, let's the, go the, go league.
6: around the league. I'm, my my daughters <laughs> said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald so uh, (laughs) so I'm gonna wear a hat
0: from here on out.
4: I mean if you look over the next six years I think we played Miami
0: three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know I mean I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids they should we should mix those games up and you should
4: um, you know play more teams from the west. Why, Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. I, we'll play anybody you can get to play us.
0: In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys! Hey! I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you!
5: All right, some big news here in the uh, SEC. I'm going to start on uh, Rocky Top. Yeah the orange and white games this weekend. So, you know, this is uh, going to be the first glimpse a lot of fans are going to have at this uh, Josh Heupel offense in action. But before we get to anything from Josh Heupel, big news on Rocky Top, and let's credit uh, Austin Price of Volquist. He was the first one that I saw that reported this. But former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton headed to Tennessee. Now, obviously, he's not going to be in time for the spring game or anything like that. He is uh, enrolled in campus from what I understand, but I don't think he's going to be officially added to the team until the summer. So we got an extra quarterback for Josh Heupel to work with. I didn't want to talk about this until I went back and watched as much uh, Joe Milton game footage as I could from Michigan. And I got to be honest, this guy is uh, if he's your starting quarterback next season for Tennessee, you're in real trouble. And that's not to say he's like some complete bust or anything, but last season, As I understand it, was his first as an opportunity to be a starting quarterback. Very inconsistent. A lot of people I saw mentioning go watch the Minnesota game. I learned nothing from the Minnesota game. I mean, all he did was throw swing passes to running backs, slant passes. Now, he is a capable runner. That's probably the value he's going to add to Tennessee if he adds any value this season. Uh, He may be kind of like a goal line package quarterback to just another guy to account for he's a big guy six foot five 223 pounds Uh, the game that I really got to see his arm more than any other was against Indiana remember how Indiana kind of came out of nowhere I think that started by beating Michigan he had some highlight plays he's got a big arm but he's very very raw based on what I saw I think he only started five games last season and that Indiana one showcased his talent it also showcased you he misses a lot of guys. He, he'll he miss a wide-open touchdown. He He's made some disastrous decisions by throwing to – I hate to even bring this up, but it looked just like Jarrett Garantano at times throwing right at defenders with no receivers around him. That's happened multiple times in the five games that I watched him play, and then he was benched after just the five games and, and really only three games where he – got to stay in the entire game. So this guy looks like a project from what I saw. Josh Heupel offered him when um, Josh Heupel was the offensive coordinator at Missouri. So he's got a track record with Joe Milton, but again, this is not going to be Tennessee starting quarterback this season, unless it's going to be a complete disaster on Rocky top. If they're going to be counting on this guy, I still like Hendon Hooker to be the starting quarterback, but the addition of Joe Milton, I haven't got around to saying this yet, but if, Nothing else. This tells me that uh, you know Tennessee's going to lose a quarterback here via transfer. And I have no idea who it is. I'm just speculating that that's going to happen. But Tennessee, five quarterbacks, scholarship on the roster, that doesn't make a ton of sense given that sanctions may be coming. Can't really – who in the hell carries five scholarship quarterbacks this day and age anyway? This is uh, – unless Joe Milton's coming in to be another position, and I don't see why he would be doing that. I mean, he's got, like I said, he's got the frame to maybe be a tight end, maybe he'll multiple positions. But I got to assume Josh Heupel is selling him on the fact that he can come in and compete at the quarterback position. This is He was a former Elite 11 Finals guy. So I'm not trying to completely trash him, but just go watch the film, man. He's just hes very inconsistent, not a very accurate passer. His decision-making questionable at best. So my read on this, Tennessee probably – They anticipate losing a guy after spring. We'll see who that is. Maybe we'll see if and when that happens. But it's very interesting because I want to jump to these uh, Josh Heupel comments from over the weekend. He was asked about the quarterbacks and how they're progressing in spring camp. And he was asked about uh, the pace of the offense, if that's where he likes it. These are kind of quarterback-related answers. So he gives these answers, and then a couple days later he adds a quarterback Something something ain't right here.
0: Josh, I was wondering if you could assess what you've seen so far in spring from individually
4: from, from Hendon and, and Harrison and Brian.
0: Yeah,
3: I, I think, um, you know, today, I, I want to go back and, and watch the tape before I make a comment on, on the quarterbacks from today. But I think I think as an overall group, they've gotten better. Really started training or uh, started spring ball. Just the, the fundamentals and t- technique and some of the things that we're doing are meshes with the, the running backs, our drops, you know, from quick game to drop back to understand, uh, to play action packs, excuse me, uh, to, to throwing on the run. Some of those things, uh, they've continued to really gain an understanding and getting better uh, fundamentally. I think operationally, um, they've come light years from, from when we first started a, a, as a group, understanding uh, the communication process uh, the tempo that we want to play at. Within that tempo, being able to have control of the game. And uh, I think as we finish this next week, they should be able to make another jump. I think they got a chance to take a huge stride in June and July before we get back to training camp. As you get away from it, sit back, watch the video of yourself actually doing it. Um, you got a chance to, to make some huge strides. Uh, all of them have made some, some big-time plays down the field. Um, they've taken the care of, of the football for the most part uh, throughout spring ball. But it's a group that has got to continue to grow and push here uh, as we finish up this week in spring ball and as we compete at that position in in June and July before we get back in training camp. Josh, in regard to the the speed of the tempo of the offense, are you where you want to be right now or close? Uh, No, but uh, we shouldn't be at this point either. Uh, We're going to continue to get more and more efficient in in how we operate, how we function. I think a a lot of our mechanics, um, you know, (laughs) for being this early in the process. I love where we're at and, and the guys understanding and, and being able to operate in it. Uh, you're constantly going to teach off of teachable moments, right? Um, practice is awesome. These scrimmages are, are critical because it is truly a game. And, uh, um, but I thought today, uh, really there were very few uh, things that were noticeable during the course of play, uh, before we go back and watch it, that, that I had an issue with. And, and, uh, I think that speaks to to those kids' buying and uh, their ability to be coached and learn, not just being corrected
5: themselves, but learning from from a teammate as well. All right, so Josh Heupel seems pretty fired up about these quarterbacks, and then, like I said, he turns around and adds one. I mean, the writing is on the wall for me. Tennessee's got to have at least one guy out the door after spring. I have no idea who that could be. That's just me speculating, but it would be pretty wild if Tennessee's taken five scholarship quarterbacks into the upcoming season. All right, next, let's uh, kick it all down to Fayetteville. Woo-pee. Big news there. Receiver Mike Woods, after about 24 hours of speculation, confirms the news he is leaving the team via the transfer portal, and he came out quickly and said this has got nothing to do with the new receivers coach, Kenny Guyon. It's got nothing to do with Sam Pittman. It still supports the direction of the program, and... But this is just so weird because Mike Woods was already starting, scored a touchdown in the spring game. There was only two players in the SEC last season that averaged more yards per reception than Mike Woods, and that's Alabama's Jalen Waddle and Ole Miss's Kenny Yeboah, and they're both off to the NFL. So Mike Woods was returning as the SEC's most productive deep threat down the field. And here you got a guy making plays in the spring game, and a couple days later he's out the door There was basically no indication this was happening. And it sucks for Arkansas because, I mean, I was basically ready to say Arkansas had the best receiving core in the SEC. And that still may be the case. But I don't know. You just took a huge hit here by losing Mike Woods. Still got some quality talent for K.J. Jefferson or Malik Hornsby, whoever wins that starting job. I still think it's going to be K.J. Jefferson. But initial buzz, I'm hearing Mike Woods headed to Oklahoma. That's what I'm hearing. Not official, but it's interesting. He's from the state of Texas. I thought maybe he'd give a look at South Carolina to reunite with Justin Stepp. I don't know if that's going to be a case there, but you got to think Mike Woods would start instantly at South Carolina. The only thing I can say, and again, I don't know. This just came so out of the blue here, but maybe Mike Woods thinking that Oklahoma's got a chance to win the national championship this year. Going for that, but you you hate to see it because Arkansas. This was going to be a guy that they relied upon, second leading returning receiver behind just Traylon Burks, the great Traylon Burks. I hate to see this man because I thought Arkansas. I still think I still got high hopes for him. I think KJ Jefferson is going to be a breakout player. Hell, he may even be better than the damn quarterback they got at Oklahoma. But of course, you're playing in that weak league. You're going to put up better numbers. But man, this is this is a tough one. No sugarcoating it. And I think uh, if there's one guy that uh, can step up, Davion Warren, it's got to be that deep threat coming off the injury. But, uh, you know, all indication he'll be good to go here in the summer. That's going to be the guy that's probably going to step up with Mike Woods taking off and leaving the Arkansas program. All right, next let's skip it on down to Lexington. Uh Mark Stoops over the weekend kind of lost track of this one with all the spring games and for some damn reason I'm still scratching my head the Wildcats not having a spring game this spring it's a bit of good news bad news here for Kentucky because they just added another commitment my god but this is coming on the heels of uh, Kentucky's just recruiting tear they landed the three four stars and then they turned around on Tuesday here and landed one of the top tight end prospects from the state of Ohio Josh Kadis his dad played for the Cincinnati Bengals, so you got to like that NFL bloodline there. That's the good news for Kentucky. Bad news, Derek Jackson projected to be the starting linebacker for Kentucky, taking the place of uh, Jamon Davis, suffered uh, an injury here. So let's kick it over with Mark Stoops, who talks about Jackson being out for the season. And on the uh, perception, it's interesting. He's beating Tennessee for some, some croots immediately asked about recruiting. The media down there in Lexington sure knows that uh, perception is changing about Kentucky football.
4: Damon left some pretty big shoes to fill. How has Dear Jackson progressed this spring? What do you expect from this fall?
2: Well, um, sorry to report that Derek, uh did suffer a uh, injury um, last week. And so uh, – it's probably a season-ending injury. So very, very disappointed in that uh, because he was doing a really good job. So we've got a variety of guys. We've got some newcomers coming in. We'll continue to figure that out uh, and, and see where that goes. But uh, we, we have players here on campus that will step up and uh, next man up mentality like we always do. But I'm disappointed for Eric because he was having a really good spring. Mark, I
4: know every recruit that you get is important, but are there some recruits that are more important Just from a perception standpoint, maybe
1: from where they're from or how they're ranked like that?
2: Maybe, maybe, Um, you know, with uh, with momentum and, uh, you know, with getting uh, some momentum and and, uh, pulling a class together, there are definitely some key pieces let's face it uh, you know you've heard me say it before to act like it's not personal uh, would be a lie it is we put a lot of time in and invest a lot of time and and uh you know build relationships and so um you know i think you know we're we're uh, on the verge of of really being able to put together a really uh, good class an important class so uh i feel good about it but we've got to continue to work at it and uh you know, with the changes or with the with the restrictions being lifted, uh, being able to have some face-to-face contact um, with prospects in June will be will be very good and much needed uh, for all of us. So uh, we're looking forward to to hosting prospects on campus, both unofficially, officially, and with camps. And so uh, that's an important piece for us.
5: And the last thing, you can't have a kentucky press conference without asking about the quarterback competition mark stoops uh, drops the latest on the quarterback competition there between bo allen joey gatewood and remember the transfer from penn state will leave us he's not going to be in until the summertime so right now it's just kind of bo allen and joey gatewood going back and forth
1: and are you ready to give us a little bit more information on your starting quarter
2: <laughs> no no you know better than that come on Larry. Uh, now I tell you, the, both guys, you know, that are that are, um, you know, in competition for the starting job, have really, um, maybe alternated days, and you know, really done. Both of them have done some really good things. You could see the confidence in both guys growing. Um, so you know, they've they've really done a nice job. I will say, Joey's. Um, you know, done a really nice job off the play actions and, and the waggles of you know in this system of you know hitting some deep balls and hitting you know we've gotten the ball down the field better than we have in some time, so uh, that's been good to see. Uh, Bo had uh, some really good ones today as well. He, he, he dropped a he dropped a dime on a on a you know deep pass today in a predictable pass situation that I would have liked to have seen the receiver come up with a catch. It could have been a touchdown. Um, So, you know, both guys are really showing some good signs. All
5: right, so based on what uh, Coach had to say there, you know, you got the feeling this is just going to be one of those battles where they're going to be in no rush to decide this thing. This thing's probably going to go all the way to fall camp. We may be going into the opener here, waiting for Kentucky to name a starting quarterback, and why not? I mean, you're not going to tip your opponent who you're going to play, but uh, I think this one is going to go down to the wire. It's safe to say that with another guy who Liam Cohen seems to be really high on, Will Levis, giving him an opportunity in training camp to show what he can do. Kentucky's in no hurry to end this thing. All right, next, let's skip it on Dave to Columbia. We're speaking of spring games. Garnet and Black game this weekend in Columbia, the first spring game of the Shane Beamer era. (laughs) And aside from uh, Steve Spurrier jokes here, uh, Beamer's got uh, some info on the spring game format, and you know there's concerns that weather is going to be a little rough out there. South Carolina has already increased the attendance; it was going to be set to around 9,000, they bumped it up to 15,000. So, you know, the Gamecocks are fired up and excited to see first spring game of the Shane Beamer era. But uh, coach says depth may be an issue here, so we're still dealing with some depth issues until the entire recruiting class or signing class arrives on campus. Uh, Let's kick it over to Shane Beamer. talks about the the spring game format and the fact that uh, depth may dictate what they can do on Saturday.
0: Our plan for Saturday is to divide up into two teams. uh, Evenly matched, not necessarily, it's not offense versus defense. Uh, I literally came in here early on a Sunday morning after our first scrimmage and just kind of went through uh, in our staff room and and just basically built the teams and tried to make them as evenly as possible. And and uh, that's our plan right now. Our coaches uh, would be split up on two different teams, Garnet and Black. Uh, plan would be for Coach Satterfield and Coach White to uh, kind of bounce back and forth and, and call it for, uh, for both sides. Both teams uh, call the defense and call the offense and uh, make it as much like a game As we can, that's the plan right now. Obviously, from a health standpoint, uh, we've got to see where we are. You know, there were some positions today when we finished practice that uh, it would be very tough if things stay the way they they are right now on Tuesday, Uh, for us to be able to have a game if if we don't get some guys back at some certain positions. So keeping our fingers crossed that uh, uh, some of these bumps and bruises will heal up and our guys will be healthy enough. We'll have enough of them healthy enough to go out there and compete on Saturday, which we're optimistic we will. But uh, we'll meet today as a staff and and see where our guys are on, on Wednesday and make a final decision. But that's our plan right now. And hopefully we'll be able to get those teams to you Uh, probably Thursday morning early would be the plan right now. So we'll see where we are then. But that's the plan going forward.
4: You mentioned your positivity factor and your glass half full approach. And how important was that for this team this spring, considering they're coming off a two win campaign and for the fan base. And is that something that will be just natural for you going into the season, even during the rough times of the season, just, constantly pushing the positive side of things?
0: I would hope so. Um, that's just my personality. It takes a lot to, to get me down, but I also think it's critical as a head coach to uh, not be – like on an emotional roller coaster of just highs and lows of every single week. I think as everybody's looking at me as the leader, that it's important for me to stay steady and stay consistent. And uh, uh, people feed off of me, and I'm well aware of that. I've always tried to be that way as an assistant coach, but I think it's even more so uh, critical now as the head coach. And, And don't get that wrong. I mean, yeah, it is positive and high energy, but it's not like if we go out there and a guy's not playing with the effort, that he needs to play with or isn't practicing the way that he needs to practice that so we run over there and pat him on the back and tell him everything's okay and, and he's going to be better than tomorrow and get get it next time. I mean, we're, we're highly, highly, highly demanding out there. Uh, we are very direct and honest with our guys with the way that we communicate, but we're never going to go out there and... and and make it personal and and belittle guys and things like that. And, you know, I would hope, you know, hopefully during the season, there's a lot of great moments, but I'm not dumb. I know there's going to be some bumps in the road as well, but you're not going to see me come in here on a – I don't know what days we do press conferences, Monday or Tuesday, and all of a sudden just completely be in the tank over what happened the Saturday before, and and we're there's a lot of positives and everything, and and we're just trying to continue to you know pump that up and 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 move it forward each and every day. But yeah, this it's been a uh, I won't say a goal, I mean, it's just kind of how we are. I try to hire people like that, and and we try and be the same people day in day day out, where the players enjoy coming in this building and and being around each other and this staff uh, day in, day out also.
5: So you hate to hear that. I mean, you want this thing to be competitive. You want it to be fun. The fans are going to be out, especially if it rains or the weather's poor and you got all these fans out. That's just the passion of the Gamecock fan base. So, you know, they desperately want to give the fans a good look here. And he even joked about uh, breaking out four tight end sets because (laughs) – it's kind of a running joke in all of college football, isn't it, where you got to get the tight ends more involved. Shane Beamer and his offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield have kind of – they vowed to get the tight ends more involved, even though the tight ends been pretty involved in the offense here in Columbia the last couple of years. So that's going to be – there's a lot to look forward to on the, uh, the upcoming Garnet and Black game. But let's hope that uh, they're able to field competitive teams here. Fingers crossed that uh, the Gamecocks can ha- hold a game here. All right, next let's kick it on dame to College Station.
3: Gigamagos.
5: Where over the weekend, Jimbo met with the media. Didn't have a ton to say, to be honest with you. He's keeping things pretty close to the vest. But if you missed it, added a couple guys to his coaching staff here in Antonio Cromartie, of course the former Florida State standout, an NFL player who made – he's made all pro and made many pro bowls. And then Rashad Green, who I didn't realize this, but – He's FSU's leading receiver all time in receptions and yards, I think touchdowns as well. He has been added to Jimbo Fisher's coaching staff too, and I love this move. That's kind of the only thing I wanted to mention here on the Aggies. You know, you're bringing in, we all know that the coaching staff there in College Station is top notch. No one's doubting that given what we've seen on the field and what we see in recruiting and all the resources the Aggies have putting together to try to win the SEC and get to that college football playoff that they should have been in last year, frankly. But now you're adding two coaches that can really relate to the players. They've been in the exact position that a lot of these elite recruits and star players, I know they didn't play in the SEC, but they played at Florida State when that thing was just a machine down there, annually competing for the ACC title, competing for – BCS, and college football playoff berths. So Jimbo was asked about adding Antonio Cromartie and Rashad Green, and I love what he had to say about both of them.
4: And if you'd mind commenting on a couple of FSU greats that's joined your staff here, Rashad Green on offense, and then Antonio Cromartie on defense. What'd that yeah, be? Antonio
6: for? was here in Houston, and – Working and wanting to get in, been wanting to get in coaching and head talks, and that brings a wealth of knowledge—not only at that position, but defensively playing with some great coordinators, blitz packages, different things you do in the NFL. Especially when he gets a third down and coverages, and and his uh, expertise on—I mean, you're talking about a guy who led the NFL in interceptions. Talking about a guy who was wasn't just in the Pro Bowl, was first-team All-Pro. So that wealth and knowledge being able to have that uh, is very good. And Rashad the same way. Rashad's the all-time leading receiver yards, catches, touch, and everything in Florida State history. And there's been some great ones that played there. And he was a three-star guy. He wasn't the most highly recruited guy. But more big games, more big plays, understanding big situations and how to prepare and wasn't a big guy to play in those moments. And I don't think there's a better example to set in front of our players to be able to handle big moments, big things, and also play against guys who were supposedly better than him. And and all he did was own them for four years in the biggest moments of the year and was one of the best – people I've, I've ever coached as far as a competitor and a human being. And uh, I thought it'd be a great example. He wanted to get into coaching. I thought it'd be a great addition. Plus he knows the system. He knows how we do things. And I thought it'd be a, a natural fit.
5: All right. So great stuff there for Jimbo. And you know, you just love to hear when a guy, especially the Rashard green, when Jimbo vouches for him and hell, it's easy to look up, you know, what a guy did in during his career. But if he's that genuine off the field as well, looks like Texas a and getting a hell of a guy and you just know a, a, a guy like Antonio Cromartie, if you know, he's probably got so much money that he doesn't need to coach. And I love that because this tells me he wants to coach. And he's gotta start his career somewhere. And he probably wants to be that missing piece to help Texas AM win the SEC and win a national championship. So these could be two really big additions. Jimbo's staff that, you know, it's not gonna make a lot of headlines that they got these two guys, but Hey, we'll find out pretty soon. Could pay off in big way for the Aggies in the seasons to come. All right, last team to hit on here. Let's jump it on down to Oxford. What you you, Ole Miss. We're old Miss. Don't forget they got a spring game too. And my God, we got to wake up Lane Kiffin for these uh, media availabilities. I mean, it seems like he's uh, coming straight out of a nap each time he holds one of these things. <laughs> the guys tweeting up a storm, getting all the fans excited. Party in Oxford. They're anticipating. A ton of recruits down there in Oxford. This is going to be the first time they've opened up the stadium in months and really the first time since Lane Kiffin's been there thanks to damn COVID and all the restrictions that came with that. So the Rebels are looking forward to quite the epic scene down there. I'm very jealous of all the fans that are going to be out there on the Grove. But Lane Kiffin was asked about, you know, what's this party you keep hyping up with uh, Ole Miss and the spring game and all that? Can you give some details?
3: I was wondering if you could uh, give any details on, you promising the, the biggest party in a long time. What all can you give any details on what's involved in that party?
4: I don't know all that. Um, <clears throat> I think our social media people kind of made it look like I knew that or that it was my idea. So um, I probably better figure out if it's going to be the biggest party. I probably better figure out what to do for it. So um, we got a few
5: days left. Nope. <laughs> He sounds like me out there. When I invite people over, you know, we're going to have a good old time. Let's let's get wasted. Let's have a good time. It's going to be an amazing, amazing Saturday. What's the plan? I got no plans. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> – that's how I roll. So I appreciate Kiffin being honest here. Maybe don't tweet the, all that out if uh, he's got no plans. But I'm sure it's going to be rocking down there in Oxford. They're going to have a good time. This is probably the spring game that I'm probably looking forward to the most. Because they got so many young guys that they got to get acclimated. They've got some talented quarterbacks out there. Want to see what those guys bring. And that's the last thing, pretty much the only thing, I thought, from Kiffin's Tuesday press conference of any value. He was asked about, uh, you know, what can you learn from a spring game? I know a lot of people like to shit on these spring games. And, oh, they're just made for... TV events and that there's no value or anything like that. Kiffin would uh, kind of disagree with you there.
3: Lane, in your experience, is there anything you can see in spring games that you don't see in the other spring practices or are spring games kind of more for the, the fans and the atmosphere than they are for evaluation?
4: I think the only thing, the only difference is just to see if kids get nervous, you know, that it's a little bit more like a game, obviously, with some crowd and um, more buildup to it anxiety. So I think that, you know, sometimes you can see that with guys you haven't played played before to see, you know, how do they, some guys just play better in an atmosphere like that and some guys struggle. So I, I think that that's the difference. With
3: with so many mid-years this year, do you address that with those guys or do you kind of just want to see how they go about their stuff?
4: Uh, we, we talk about it. We prepare like the game and the lead up, you know, the day is like a game and pregame and all those things. So,
5: um, you know, just to get them used to it. All right, so I love to hear that. I mean, they got 15 early enrollees. Got to get these guys acclimated because that's the way, for all the hype around Ole Miss, and I know they got a ton of guys returning and they one of the surprising teams in the SEC last season. You know, that same record's not going to cut it. They want to improve in Oxford, and they're going to be relying on these true freshmen to make plays come the fall. So you got to get them up to speed now. I really like this answer from Lane Kiffin and hopefully they get these guys up to speed on Saturday so that they can contribute right away because, hey, there's no learning curve in the SEC when you're on the field. It's either you're good to go or you're sitting on the bench, and Ole Miss is going to need these guys if they're going to climb the SEC ladder this season. All right, guys, so that's all I got on this one. And uh, before I hop off the line, I want to remind you guys that, uh, hey, our merchandise over at T Public that's for sale for, I think, starting on Thursday through the weekend, so... Check, check that out the in the show notes. We've got a link to all that. $14 t-shirts. Can't beat it. That's a good way to help out the pod. And if, as always, hey, if you made it this far, you wouldn't mind going that extra step. Give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. Just send those on over to that SECpodcast at gmail.com that's just our way of saying thanks once again hey i also met i mentioned the band that supports the show crimson calamity check out their new song my best friends that uh, would mean a lot if they support the the podcast so we want to support them that would mean a lot to them so that's all i got on this one done spieling for the episode here thanks for hanging out catch y'all on the next one